Greetings, dear listener, and welcome to the Cryonics Underground podcast. In this, our first episode and our introduction to Cryonics. I'm your host, Max Marty, and we're going to start off this show with something a little bit different than what we'll usually be doing, because today I'm going to read to you an essay written by me and edited by my co-host Daniel. This means that in about 10 minutes, you'll understand Cryonics better than the vast, vast majority of people alive today. Let's start first with a really short one-sentence answer to the question of what is Cryonics. Cryonics is the practice of using extremely cold temperatures to pause a person's biological processes, followed by the long-term storage of that person in that paused state, in the hopes that people of the future will be willing and able to revive them. Now to break this down, let's start with the icky and unpleasant subject of death. What is death? The cessation of life processes? What if we can still restart some critical life processes before it's really too late? For a long time, when a person's heart stopped beating, that person was truly dead. There was no hope of coming back from such a condition. There was nothing anybody could do. As such, to the medical establishment, such as it was at the time, and to the public, this condition became synonymous with death. Eventually, though, we figured out how to get a stopped heart to start beating again. In fact, we now realize that a person's heart can even be replaced with a different person's heart. Or even with an artificial pump designed to replicate that heart's function. No biology necessary. In other words, as technology has progressed, we've discovered that death was much less straightforward than previously believed. And correspondingly, we pushed out the boundaries of what it meant to be dead in the first place. So it's reasonable to imagine that at some point in the future, we'll figure out how to treat, cure, and prevent a lot of the diseases and problems we suffer from today. Indeed, we'll be able to do all kinds of things we can't quite do today. This may not happen, of course, it's a prediction, but it's a prediction based on the steady and positive trajectory of technological progress since the Great Enlightenment. Okay, but how does it work? The first step is to become a member of a Cryonics service organization. There are two prominent ones in the U.S., that is, Alcor and the Cryonics Institute, plus a handful of smaller ones all around the world. In total, there are about four to 5,000 people signed up for Cryonics worldwide, and somewhere between four and 500 people already stored at one or other of these facilities, the vast majority of those being in one of the two major organizations. What does Cryonics cost? Well, Cryonics isn't particularly expensive, but it's also not cheap. It is, though, much more affordable than most people realize. You don't have to be a millionaire or a billionaire to afford it. At a minimum, you'll pay anywhere between $28,000 and $200,000, depending on which organization and which package you decide to go with. But since this is something you'll only need to pay for once you're legally declared dead, most people pay for it through life insurance and so don't need to cover the cost of it up front. If you're relatively young and healthy, you can buy a life insurance policy that would cover the cost of Cryonics for the price of about a single latte a month. When you factor in membership dues and other things, that price will go up to about $20 or $30 a month. In other words, Cryonics is affordable for almost any relatively young and healthy person in the developed world. So now you've signed up for Cryonics, and you have your handy life insurance policy to pay for it. Congratulations. Welcome to the club. So what's next? Well, the second step is to go about living your life. Smell the roses, making healthy choices, etc. 
Perhaps you can even make some friends in the Cryonis community, and you should absolutely listen to this podcast. At some point, aging or a more pronounced medical condition will threaten to bring that existence of yours to an end. And you'll be heading for what would, in a world without cryonics, be certain doom. It's then when the next step in this process kicks in. Step three is when you're ready to be paused. That is to say, medical science can no longer keep you alive and healthy. It's time for cryonics to come into the picture, and time for you to wait for the future. Once you're legally declared dead, the goal becomes to reduce your body temperature down to that of liquid nitrogen. That's about 320 below Fahrenheit as quickly and seamlessly as possible. Now, traditionally, part of this process starts at the bedside, and part of it will take place at the Chronics facility. The goal of the Chronics medical team, which will be, hopefully right by your bedside, will be to prevent as much cell death from oxygen deprivation and other problems as possible. So, right at that bedside, these folks will keep your blood circulating, will keep moving oxygen through your lungs, and will begin the process of cooling your body, in this case to just above freezing, among other things they're doing to minimize that cell damage. And then, as you're right above freezing, your body will be transported to the chronics facility of the company you're working with, where the process will continue. Specifically, the company you're working with will replace your blood with a sort of medical-grade antifreeze. This will minimize the formation of ice crystals in your body, which can do a lot of damage if they're there and then slowly bring your temperature down to that of liquid nitrogen. Now this is more complicated than it sounds, since if you bring the body temperature down too slowly, your body will incur all kinds of damage that may make it harder or even impossible to revive you at some future date. However, if you do this too quickly, you incur other kinds of damage. A lot of research has gone into figuring out how to do this, and we're certainly going to get better at it as time goes on as well. Once you're at the right temperature, you're lowered into what amounts to a giant insulated thermos bottle filled with liquid nitrogen. Let's call it a biostasis pod. This will be your home for some time to come. Step four is to, well, wait. And wait, and wait, and maybe wait some more. Depending on how well your cryopreservation went back in step three, what you died of, and how quickly technology progresses, maybe plus a host of other things, this could take decades, very optimistically, or several centuries if you're less optimistic. But fear not, although it may be quite a long time until you're unpaused, your mind will be on hold, so you won't get to witness all the wonderful things that will go on around you while you wait, unfortunately. One moment you'll be saying goodbye, and if all goes according to plan, the next moment you will be waking up from your cryonic slumber. What you're betting on during this time is that someone, or something, keeps putting liquid nitrogen into your cryotank, so you don't thaw out. Maybe it's the cryonics organization you originally signed up with, maybe it's some other organization that eventually stores your biostasis pod. At any rate, as long as you're in there, you're on pause. Nothing happens to you at the cellular level for thousands of years, though hopefully you won't have to wait that long. Okay, so it's the future and you've bravely and patiently waited for technology to catch up with your situation. It's time for the long-awaited Step 5, Revival. Broadly speaking, there are two possible scenarios for revival, and it's important to distinguish between them. 
The first scenario is where you'll, revived, you'll be revived using some kind of process that repairs your tissues at the cellular or even the molecular level. Now this kind of true nanotechnology has been theorized and written about, um, and of course we witness analogs of these sorts of devices operating in the biological world, but it is certainly not something we're even close to building today. But once this technology does exist in some form, and we can employ it to repair the cellular damage you've incurred during the preservation process, it's time to bring you back into the world. It's time for you to rejoin the adventure of life. Or there's a different possibility. It could be that we realize the technology to repair you at such very small scales is simply beyond our reach. Or beyond our reach for the next million years, in which case your biostasis pod is not likely to survive. If we come to this conclusion, it may be better to try a plan B. Plan B is where, rather than reviving you in the traditional sense, we instead do a very careful scan of your brain and then recreate that scan in some sort of digital form, maybe on a simulator of some kind. This is what's commonly referred to as mind uploading, or what I like to call the copy from carbon and paste into silicon approach. Well, when you're revived, what would such a world look like? That is to say, if we're lucky and make it through to the end of this journey, what can we really expect? Well, it's impossible to know for sure, but it's very likely that such a world would be better in almost every sense we care about. To see why, let's rewind a moment and go back to the present. Now, whether or not you have felt it in the course of your own life, the world has been getting better. This is not for every person, not every day, not even every year, but over the course of decades, there's a clear trend line. As technology has been rapidly progressing, billions of people around the world have been lifted out of abject poverty. Death from crime is at historic lows, and incidents of war are also lower than they've ever been. Humans on the whole have become more pleasant animals to be around, despite some obvious setbacks at various points throughout history. And there's no good reason to think these trends are suddenly going to end. However, if they do end, and the world stagnates or even regresses, it's unlikely we'll ever develop the technology to bring you back anyway. So, if you get revived... Odds are pretty good it'll be into the kind of world you'd appreciate being a part of. Such stupendous technology would require advancements along an untold and unpredictable number of other technologies or processes and factors too numerous to name. Just imagine trying to explain to someone like Columbus what it was going to take to build the space shuttle. The number of things that would have to go into making that the stage of numerous industries, institutions, and the implicit and explicit knowledge of millions upon millions of individuals that were going to be needed to make that a reality would have been completely inconceivable to Columbus. Those of us trying to predict what the future this far away would look like face a similar conundrum. But, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many other crownists out there, this hopeful journey is absolutely worth it. Even though the destination is uncertain, and even though we may never reach that destination, the chance to explore the future, to find the answers to the big questions, to experience all the wonders, joys, and yeah, heartbreaks and pains that life will have in store for us even in the future, is absolutely positively worth it. This podcast is an exploration of what that journey will look like. From the practical steps of Chronics today, 
to the philosophical, technological, economic, and scientific questions this amazing adventure beckons us to wrestle with. And when all is said and done, my co-host Daniel and I hope you find this podcast piques your interest in learning more, and perhaps even joining us, and the many others in the Chronics community, on the real adventure, the ultimate journey, the journey into the far future. Because, to borrow from the great Carl Sagan, for small creatures such as we, the vastness is bearable only through love. Thank you.